0: You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Packers, and you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. You can find all of the off-season content from me at FanRag NFL and AcmePackingCompany.com. It is all there for you, and I'm going to continue to churn out these podcasts three times a week through the offseason. Just because the Super Bowl has come and gone, and it is now another six months before football really kicks back into high gear, doesn't mean we're not going to continue to have a show. We are. Today, we are going to deep dive into the outside linebacker position for the Green Bay Packers. And we're going to do that for a couple reasons. Number one, it is the next position in our offseason review. So we're going to look back at the the players on this roster in 2017, what they did, how they contributed, and and where the Packers may need to get better moving forward. Number two, the reason that, that I think it's important we do this now is as we go through the process, I want Packers fans to have an understanding of the players who could be available in free agency and in the draft that can help them or that the Packers might be interested in. And we're going to look at a couple of those players today, some that I like, some that I don't. We're going to look at free agency, and and we're going to give you as big a picture as we can about the Packers' edge position moving forward. Now, the interesting thing about how this is going to look in 2018 with Mike Pettin is he's going to play some 3-4 fronts, he's going to play some 4-3 fronts, and some skills may need to change. Guys may need to play a little bit more... Out of their natural positions, Clay Matthews, I think, is going to spend a little bit less time coming and just flying off the edge. I think Nick Perry is going to spend more time with his hand in the dirt. And because the Packers are going to play multiple fronts. There was a great line on Packers.com. Mike Pettin was doing an interview and he said, you know, people ask me if we're a 3-4 team or a 4-3 team and I say yes. And I love that answer because they're going to be different. They're going to be multiple. They're going to be aggressive. And one of the things that he said that I really liked was he said, we're, you will not hear the phrase read and react from us. We are not going to be a read and react team. We're going to be an aggressive team. We're going to dictate to offenses because we're going to attack their weaknesses and we are going to protect our own weaknesses. Those are the kinds of things you want to hear a defensive coordinator say. It's easy enough to say it is much harder to do in practice. So let's start with our review of... The Packers outside linebackers in 2017, because this is a position of much concern for Packers fans. And I think it's a position of concern for the Packers front office, but I don't know that it's as big a concern as maybe it's been made out to be. Last year, the Packers, yes, they were 26th against the pass. To me, this is a bigger failure of coaching because the defensive backs were not in a great position to succeed. The blitzes were poorly timed and poorly designed, but the Packers were ninth in adjusted sack rate, so that accounts for things like throwaways and non-aimed passes. Ninth, a top 10 pass rush last year. That seems genuinely shocking to a Packers fan. It was shocking when I saw it, and I started to look at the statistics for some of these players. Clay Matthews, officially 8.5 sacks. That's his most since 2014, when he was a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. He played a little bit outside, a little bit inside that season. And he was an excellent run defender. Pro Football Focus does things a little bit different. They had him for 10 sacks. So they credited him differently. You know, the half sack, sometimes guys get, get credit for sacks that don't deserve it. They had him for 10 sacks, 11 quarterback hits, 18 hurries. He led the team in total pressures. And among regular players, led the team in pass rush production. So in 342 snaps, he had 39 total pressures. To me, it was a B-plus season from Clay Matthews. At this point in his career, at this age, he didn't even, he had 8.5 sacks and didn't even play as many games as he did in 2014. He played 16 in 2014. At this point in his career, if he can give you 8-plus sacks and 13, 14 games, he can still come up with big plays and clutch moments. The Packers needed the defense to come together against Tampa Bay when Brett Hundley couldn't do anything throwing the ball and they destroyed Jameis Winston in key moments. They got pressure in key moments. Clay Matthews came up big in key moments. He was a B-plus last year and he was the only guy in this group who played up to his abilities. Now, I don't think overall that means this was a bad group. Nick Perry, I think, got a lot of flack this year for not playing up to his abilities, and and maybe that's true. Remember, he had a broken hand, so part of this is, once again, Nick Perry can't stay healthy. That said, he had seven sacks. Understanding sacks aren't everything. That's his second most of his career, and he only played 12 games. If the Packers get a healthy Nick Perry and a healthy Clay Matthews, For 14 or 15 games. They should be a good pass rush next year. Here's the problem. They can't rely on those guys. So Nick Perry for me was a B-minus last year. I thought he could have been more impactful, more consistently. But the club played a big factor in that. Well, you can't stay healthy. And at a certain point, that's on you. And the Packers need that. Availability is part of production. Availability is part of value. And so he—if you're only playing 12 out of the 16 games, and the Packers have to start Kyler Fackrell or they have to start Ahmad Brooks, you're you're doing your team a disservice. This could have been a solid B for him. It's a B minus, borderline C plus for me. I think you could make the case that that it could be lower, but he was still an excellent run defender, not the same kind of impact run defender he was last year. But he played half the season with one hand. So at a certain point you just have to say, well, he is what he is. You have to you have to deal with the realities of his situation, and he was playing with one hand. So I, I think he's a B minus, but the Packers paid him. He got a new contract. He got five years fifty nine million. And that's big time money. Except that after twenty nineteen, they can that is the first year that they can get out with with not much of a penalty. $7 million in dead cap spread over two seasons. It's not that big a deal. Now, the, the better idea would be that he lives up to this contract, but his base salary jumps to $9.6 million in 2020, so he's going to need to produ- produce in 2018. Maybe they restructure the deal, but the Packers, after 2020, can get out of that deal. He's still only 28 at that point, so Nick Perry can still earn his money but he didn't last year. And I think that's the this is the biggest reason. It doesn't look like the third pass rusher is on this team right now. We don't know what Vince Beagle is. We, we were, we're pretty sure Kyler Fackrell is not that dude. And Ahmad Brooks, old, can't stay healthy. Maybe Reggie Gilbert is that guy. On a per-snap basis, he was the most productive outside linebacker in creating pressure this season. But... He didn't get very many opportunities, and so it's a small sample size. We don't know what he would look like, but there is talent there for sure. We're going to get to Gilbert in a second. The Packers need more from Nick Perry, and the reason that that I think Green Bay feels like and Packers fans feel like edge is a place where they need to improve as Clay Matthews is getting up in age. Nick Perry can't stay healthy. They need a backup plan. They need a, a not just a long-term solution, but an immediate solution. And if they're... If they're going to compete, they need—in 2014, 2015, when this pass rush was getting after teams, they had Matthews, they had Perry, they had Peppers, they had Dayton Jones, they had Mike Daniels. They had this slew of guys that they could throw in there. If they have to go to Fackrell, if they have to go to Beagle, if they have to go to these secondary pass rushers, they just can't get the job done in the same way, so their guys can't stay fresh. This has a, a snowball effect. So Philadelphia, in the Super Bowl, they can rotate in guys. They can bring in Derek Barnett. They can slide Brandon Graham inside. They, they can go four, five, six deep on the defensive line, and it's harder to slow them down. It's harder to wear them out. The Packers need that. Ahmad Brooks, for me, D+. Plus. 13 tackles, 1.5 sacks, couldn't stay on the field. He's older. He was supposed to give them some stability at the position and couldn't stay on the field long enough to do that. I don't think he'll be back. I don't think they need him to be back. And and one of the reasons I don't think they need him to be back is they can, they can go draft someone. But also, Kyler Fackrell actually was okay this year. I know that's weird. Pro Football Focus had him with a higher pass rush productivity than Nick Perry. Three sacks, three hits, 21 hurries. That's 27 total pressures and 254 pass rush snaps. That's that's not terrible. That's that's solid. Now, he's still, a, he's still a bad run defender. Cannot set the edge. Doesn't know what's going on half the time. But if all he has to do is go get the quarterback, he's shown some ability to do that. He's developing a little bit. He can be a rotational outside linebacker. He's a C-plus for me. Can he be more than that? I don't think so. Now, the three other guys... That are, that are on the roster, Vince Beagle, Reggie Gilbert, Chris Odom, they're all incompletes. None of them did enough. None, none of them really had the opportunity to play enough. As I said, Reggie Gilbert, the mo in 40 pass rush snaps, this is pretty incredible, eight pressures according to Pro Football Focus, one sack, two hits, five hurries. That's pretty remarkable. And he did it from both sides of the field. On the flip side, Vince Beagle in 59 pass rush snaps, had only four total pressures four hurries no hits no sacks now it, it's not quite fair Beagle didn't have a lot of time coming off injury Reggie Gilbert on the practice squad healthy most of the season so this the scenarios aren't aren't the same so it's not time to to just give up on Vince Beagle but he's gonna have to show a little bit more there's a reason that that the Packers and Packer fans feel like they need to upgrade this position they do. There is no premier pass rusher on this team. Now, Mike Patton doesn't necessarily need one of those. But I'm not sure that there is more than two guys that the Packers can count on down in and down out defensively to do everything that they need them to do from a run defense standpoint, from a rushing the passer standpoint. They need to upgrade the position. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're talking about it this early, because this is going to be a topic of conversation all offseason. Is this group good enough? And if not, how do they get better? You heard me reference Pro Football Focus. You two could have access to all the data behind the paywall if you win our contest that would get you a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. It's a $39.99 value and would get you access to player grades, snap counts, charting and tools, NFL draft content. They do a ton of NFL draft content. So as we ramp up toward the draft. This would be well worth the money that you don't have to pay. All you have to do is put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes and you'll be entered to win. There are three names in the draft right now that I think are going to be consistently linked to the Packers at the 14th pick. But, but let's back up for just a second. If you want a top-end pass rusher, cornerback or quarterback, you better take him in the first round. Statistically speaking, the best players at those positions come in the first. You want a premium player at a premium position. He's a first-round player in all likelihood. There are exceptions, Tom Brady, Tony Romo, Sam Shields at corner, but if you want a high-impact player at a premium position because everyone wants one, so they're going to they're going to draft them. They're going to take their hits. So you got to get the guy with the primo talent. You got to take him in the first. And I think there are a lot of Packer fans that want the, that want their team to take an edge just to take an edge. I don't love this class. I don't love the outside linebackers, the defensive ends in this class. So if that's true, I'm not interested in saying, let's just take the best guy there. No. Or not the best guy at that position. You don't take the best edge player just to take the best edge player if he's not One of the best players at the position available. And if there are guys with more relative value, guys with higher grades who can help your team more, you take them. If Derwin James is there, you take them. If Denzel Ward is there, you take him. Depending on who the guys are there that are available. So let's start with my favorite of this group, and that's Marcus Davenport. 6'6", 260. We'll see how he he measures in and, and tests at the combine. But he went to UT San Antonio. Small school kid. We talked about him a little bit before the senior bowl and right after the senior bowl because he he struggled a little bit early at practice, but then ended up he played much better in practice on Thursday and then they couldn't block him in the game. Five pressures and 25 pass rush snaps. I mean, they couldn't block him. And that's what you see when you watch him on tape. I've studied the top pass rushers in this class. He is my favorite. I think he's the best one. I think he has the highest upside. I said this on Twitter. It is hard to watch him And not get flashbacks of Jadavion Clowney. Not that he's in the same caliber as a prospect Clowney was a generational prospect. He's not. But from a power standpoint, he'll just run over dudes. From a size and, and freak athleticism standpoint, he's right there. He can create pressure off the edge and turn and run with a running back on a wheel route. Or drop in coverage and spy a quarterback or rush from the inside, or loop around on a stunt or a twist. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to be using a lot of scouting terminology. I'm going to try and explain to you what they mean. I'm going to try and not get too in the weeds with it. If there's any, ever anything that I say that you go, what the hell is he talking about? Just Just send me a message. Tweet me. Tweet the show. And say, hey, what are you talking about? Explain this. And I'll do it. Because if you have a question, someone else probably has a question. I'm at the end of, so I scout these guys. I I watch their games. I take notes on the things that I like and I don't like. And then at the end, I write up a small graph, a scouting report. And I I mostly have done it for myself, but I hope it's going to be valuable to you as we move through this process. Because as I scout and evaluate players that the Packers could be interested in, I'm going to share those evaluations with you. So let's start with Marcus Davenport. Davenport isn't a Power 5 player, but he absolutely is an intriguing prospect. He's huge, athletic, versatile, powerful, and explosive. He's a playmaker in the run game and the passing game. With his upper body strength and ability to convert speed to power, he can dominate opposing offensive tackles and just as easily use his athleticism to turn and run with a running back. I, I said this already. He can be a number one edge rusher and a solid run defender. Plus, with some added strength and technique, he still has room to grow. Davenport has scary potential and could be one of the best edge players in football in any scheme. Play him outside in a 3-4, stand him up at outside linebacker, or put him at a 4-3 defensive end with his hand in the dirt. He can win as an inside pass rusher in sub package or as a stand-up blitzer on the outside. He is a terror. And he's young. He is exactly the kind of player Ted Thompson would love. And he is exactly the kind of player who can play inside, outside, and all over that Mike Patton would absolutely love to deploy in this system. Specifically because he can play hand in the dirt, standing up, inside, outside, blitzing up the middle, wherever you want to put him. He can go get you pressure and disruption. He needs, he needs some help. He needs some work with his technique, with his pass rush repertoire. It's a tongue twister, so I had to say it slowly. <laughs> <laughs> but he can be really good, and, and you will not stop hearing me gush about him. The other guy is Harold Landry from Boston College. six three two fifty, and is a flash of lightning off the edge. Flies around the field he's long he's got long arms which you which you really like to see from an edge rusher and he's the kind of player that can give your team life he's the kind of player that Seattle would draft play him in sub package positions and he would have 10 sacks as a rookie and so playing in a similar scheme with Mike Patton, I'm higher on Landry than most I think and so I think he is worth the 14th pick. I would be willing to take him at 14, depending on who else is on the board. And I think he's the kind of high upside, bend the edge speed rusher that that the Packers could use. The kind of player Clay Matthews was in his prime. Here's, here's what I wrote about him. Landry is an undersized, lanky speed rusher off the edge with basically just one great move. And that's a dip and bending the corner. Against college offensive tackles, that's enough. It's not going to work consistently against Joe Thomas and Tyron Smith. That said, his speed is disruptive. He's a smart, aware player who can help you against the run because he's smart and closes with burst. He's better as a pass rusher with his hand down, but probably needs to get to 260 to be a starter there. He's 250 now. If he can get a little stronger and play with better leverage, he can be a solid NFL edge rusher without adding anything to his game because his speed kills. If he can just get one counter, a spin, or an inside swim move, he'd be an elite pass rusher in the league because he's a his first step and speed to bend the edge are elite. Right now, he's a somewhat limited player because of his deficiencies with strength, but that's fixable. With some coaching, improved hand placement, and technique work, Landry has the foundation to be a special player. There is some some scouting jargon in there, but I think from context, you can you can have some understanding of, of what some of those words mean. We'll, we'll go through a little bit more of them as we go through the year. I, I just There's one more guy I want to get to, and it's a name that's come up a lot, and it's a name that I just I won't pretend to understand the infatuation with his talent. Arden Key from LSU, 6'6", 238. I don't want to hear he's 260. He's not. He's 240 if he's a pound, and he might not even be that. In 2016 for LSU, he probably played 230, 235. He's skinny. He's small and, and spindly. He's not small. He's 6'6". 6'6", 240 is not small. If you saw him in person, you'd go, holy crap. But for an NFL edge rusher, edge player, he's slight. I, I just don't think he has a clue what he's doing. And I, I there's evidence to suggest that that is also an issue off the field. So... I'm just not interested. Just not, I mean, not that he's not draftable, but at 14, absolutely not. No way. I am am firmly of the belief that if you can't prove you can produce in college, I'm going to be worried about your ability to produce in the NFL. That doesn't mean that there aren't upside plays. But I also understand that not all production is good production. Not all sacks are good sacks. Bud Dupree at Kentucky he got you know some crazy number of sacks his last year there i don't think he earned one getting off a block there they were well timed blitzes or he blew up a running back or someone just didn't get out of their stance and and he got the edge and it was not it was not his ability to get off blocks that won him sacks he didn't earn those sacks he won them with his athleticism and that's just not going to fly in the NFL consistently. Let me read to you my final thoughts here. He's not what his press clippings will have you believe. Key is a pure upside play. Has no idea where the ball is or how to attack an offensive tackle. Doesn't go in with a plan, but has the perfect frame to add muscle and strength. He's not even 22. And during the 17 season, he started to get better with his hands and pass rush moves once his shoulder healed. Truly what hurts him is his huge production as a sophomore blew him up hype-wise And if he only had four sacks, he probably stays in school, which is what he should have done. He's just too raw to be a high pick. Guys who don't know how to rush the passer in college rarely figure it out in the pros. If you think he's Everson Griffin or Danielle Hunter, that's fine. But those guys were mid-round picks for a reason. He needs time, a ton of coaching, added strength, and experience. The kid just doesn't quite know how to play football. In the third round, sure. I'm serious. I am dead ass serious. No interest in using a top 50 pick on Arden Key. No offense to the kid personally. I just don't think he's a good enough football player at this point. I understand what the upside is. I understand all of that. He is not worth the high pick. He should have gone back to school. And so you're going to see that in mocks. I don't think the Packers are going to see the talent that, that maybe the media does. Because I think they're smart. I certainly don't see it. That doesn't mean I'm right. I've been wrong before. But I've been right before too. He's probably going to test very well. He's very athletic. I just don't see enough. You have to know how to rush the passer. It takes more than athleticism. And he doesn't know how. The last thing before we get out of here is free agency. There are not a lot of quality free agent edge rushers out there, edge players, You have to do more than just rush the passer as an edge. But Ahmad Brooks is going to be a free agent. I don't think he gets brought back. Connor Barwin is an interesting name. He was on a one-year deal with LA last year. Did not produce at a high level. But could be a rotation-level player. Eric Walden will be on the market. I know his sack numbers say that he played well at times for Indianapolis. Don't believe that. He did not. He is not a good player. There's just not a lot of interest There. For him being a rotation player, Barkevious Mingo is another former high pick. He'll be on the market. There's nothing about this free agent group that excites you, and not even just that doesn't excite you. I just, who's going to come in and give you snaps right away? Maybe, maybe Barwin, at at a reasonable price. Junior Gillette, whether or not he'll be on the Packers radar after you know some of the off the field issues that he's had, who knows? But he's a quality pass rusher. I know that. Other than the names I've mentioned, it's pretty slim pickings. Trent Murphy from Washington. I'm not sure how appealing that is. Packers already have a couple uh, white dudes with with limited athleticism, so unless they're gonna they're gonna totally break their mold and go after a guy like James Harrison, Dwight Freeney, there's just not a lot of good options here. One name that I do think could be potentially interesting is Aaron Lynch from San Francisco. He's only 24 years old, and given their switch defensively. I'm not sure he's a great fit for them. He could be a better fit for this Mike Pettin team. He was a very talented player early on in his college career. Had some off-the-field issues. Had some some run-ins with coaches. But he's shown his talent in the NFL. In flashes. Could he be someone that the Packers buy low on? I I wouldn't be surprised. That's a name I think worth keeping an eye on as we move forward. But... Free agency is not where the Packers are going to deal with their, their edge rotation. That's going to be in the draft, which is why we spent a full block of the show talking about it. We're going to spend an entire show, I'm sure, talking about at least one of these guys, probably two or three, four, five, six, depending on how much time we have. So, this is the broad overview. We're going to get into these things in much more detail moving forward. We're going to, we probably will have a whole show just dedicated to Harold Landry and just dedicated to Marcus Davenport. Probably not Arden Key because I just don't see him as a viable option at 14. Frankly, he's not someone I want to talk about for 25-30 minutes. So, we're just not going to do that. Um, Maybe that's my bias, but it's my show. So We're going to to be back on Thursday to to suck up the news from the NFL landscape, absorb it, and try and, and regurgitate it. That sounded a lot worse than I wanted it to, but here we are. I stand by it. And we're going to move forward. We're coming up on the Combine. Free agency is going to start here before you know it. And that's going to create a lot of interesting discussions. So stay with us. Stay hooked in. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate us. Enter our pro football focus. Edge giveaway. And always, you know this, always stay Locked On Packers.